0: Of the comment section on fire, burning. They came at us. Okay, I'm right back at the community. We are high atop, a spring like Nashville, Tennessee. We're jam-packed. It's Tuesday, March 28th, Year of Our Lord 2023. I've got several Dark Horse programs for you. So one of you asked me, hey, give me some Dark Horse programs. And then someone else in the chat asked, What's a Dark Horse program? All of that for you tonight. Overrated. Underrated. We did it the other night. I took it upon myself to give you my, and I want to emphasize my, top 10 programs in the country based on my, and let me again emphasize my criteria. Naturally, America disagreed. And some of you went on the record in the comment section. So we will revisit, especially your thoughts on two of those programs Clemson Home Games. Just a question out of the blue today about Clemson Home Games. And had I ever been to one? Yeah, I've been to one, but I want to talk in a much deeper detail about what Clemson home games should be that they haven't been through no fault of Clemson's. Also, the USC mood tracker tonight. We've got a lot to get to. They're watching us in Tacoa, Georgia, north of Little Rock, Arkansas. Sierra City, Minnesota is tuned in. Kingston, Tennessee is tuned in. Uh, we've done this show, what, Colin, a little over three years now here at uh, CBS 24-7. In that time, there have been some terrible things that have happened in the country. Over the past week, there have been two big-time tragedies in our country. One of them was down in Rolling Fork, Mississippi. The other one was a few blocks away from where we are right now in Nashville yesterday. I was in both towns when it happened. It's not something to brag about. I'm just saying that to let you know I'm keenly aware. With what's going on out there, I have feelings. I have thoughts. I have emotions, as do all of you. The way we have operated this college football show, is to view it through a prism of an escape mechanism for you to each his and her own. The way we do this show is we stack it to give you something that lets you get away from everything else that's going on out there. And so we acknowledge, but then we also give you the escape hatch. Here's your escape hatch for a little while. Let's just talk about some college football tonight. I had a question today on Twitter, and it is going to lead our show tonight because it is about sleeper programs. So Here's Frankie. Frankie hits us up and he says, who's your dark horse to win each Power 5 conference this upcoming season? All the teams that need a top quarterback to make this a wide open race. Now, Frankie asks, dark horse to win the conference. What is this segment going to be? Well, it's not going to be my picks to win Power 5 conferences. It is going to be something that is akin to what could happen, you know? What is like a 1 in 100 chance of happening? We got a guy who's walking around here that honestly thinks if he played me 100 times in ping pong, He'd beat me one of them. Uh, That wouldn't happen. But Purdue could win the Big Ten one time out of 100. So let's just dive down this little rabbit hole for a second. Because I and producer Jesse helped me on this. We pretty quickly came to a consensus five, one for each conference. I want to start in the ACC and talk to you about Louisville. Who's the head coach at Louisville? Been a lot of coaches moving around. Who's the head coach at Louisville? So We got Jeff Brom in there now. Scott Satterfield moves on, Jeff Brom comes in. I think if I were to poll Louisville fans, they would say it's a net upgrade. I hope for their sake they're right. Back-to-back top 25 portal classes there. This is where my mind is at when I'm trying to pick a a dark horse, a team that could be there and shock everyone at the end of the year. Jack Plummer is a name that I don't think most of America knows, but he is a guy who was at Purdue when Brom was there. And he sat behind O'Connell for the 14 years that he was quarterback at Purdue. So he knows the system intimately. In the meantime, he went out to Cal. Put up a 21-9 to touchdown-to-interception ratio last year. So he's got a quarterback that knows his system. They've got really good portal-wide receiver talent there. And the schedule shows no Clemson on it. It shows no Florida State on it. And it also shows North Carolina absent. And no back-to-back road games. Let me repeat. Louisville's going to play a 2023 schedule in conference that faces no Clemson, no Florida State, no North Carolina, and they have no back-to-back road games. That has Dark Horse written all over it, even with a first-year coach. Next up, let's go to the Southeastern Conference. We had a lot of infighting today when we were trying to, as a staff, because I seek input as long as it validates what I already think. I value it. I sought input. And some people were on the same page with me, and some people were not. And uh, we, we gave serious consideration to South Carolina here. But I ended up going with Missouri. I knew it was going to be an SEC East team, and I went with Missouri. So Missouri is number nine in returning production this upcoming year. Had Eli Drinkwitz on the College Football Today show recently that you can see on the 24-7 Sports YouTube channel. at uh, four Central time, which is five Eastern every day. And he talked about how it's really nice that they finally got into a place where they feel like they can retain talent. Luther Burden is a perfect example of a big-time receiver talent that goes to Missouri, and he's still at Missouri, and they should feature him heavily this year. And he talked about the ability to develop guys for the NFL at Missouri. It's a really important selling point. They've got uh, three quarterbacks up there right now that they're working in the spring. Jake Garcia, did you know he transferred from Miami to Missouri? He did. Uh, Sam Horn's there. Brady Cook's there. What stands out to me, and the reason I would circle them as the darkest of dark horse teams, is number one, if Georgia doesn't fall off, this is a moot point, obviously. But it only takes that one thing happening, that Georgia falling a little bit off pace, which I know seems impossible, but it, it technically is possible. If that one thing were to happen, then it's just a totally wide open division over there. And at that point, you go to Atlanta, anything can happen. This team played Georgia as close as anyone last year. And also, this team had four of their six losses by one possession. So they had a lot of close losses, which counts as a loss, just as if you get drugged by 30. The difference is, we know what history says about close losses and net losses and wins of one possession or less. So I'm looking at them right now, and I'm saying, if there's going to be a dark horse in the SEC, which, albeit seems unlikely, maybe to be Missouri of all teams. They don't have the toughest front-loaded schedule. They get South Dakota, Middle Tennessee, Kansas State, Memphis. Then they open conference play at Vanderbilt. Uh, they do not play Alabama. They do not play Texas A&M, I don't think. So they get LSU at home. It, it's, they get Tennessee and Florida at home, too. It's not the biggest murderer's row of schedules, but they still do need to win close games. All right, go all the way, all the way out to the West Coast. Being that you are watching a show brought to you by Pac-12 Pate. I'm going to give you a sleeper team that's not actually a sleeper if you pay attention, but it is going to be a sleeper because most people don't pay attention to him. That is, of course, the Oregon State Beavers. Oregon State last year was a double-digit win team. That alone is breaking news to a healthy chunk of the college football public, but they were. It's the first time they've won double-digit games since 2006. So congratulations. At that point, many of you still write it off as a nice, cute story. There are a lot of beavers in Nashville. I see them all the time, especially once you get south of town. They are not elusive, uh, and they just stand in the road. You got to hit your brakes, come all the way to a stop, and let them waddle on off. But that is not the identity of this team, and maybe the mascot. But that is not the identity of this team. They were good last year. They were ten and three. They were seven and one in their final eight games. Top twenty offensive production returning. That's a good thing. They also have DJ Uyanglale coming in. Some of you don't think that's a good thing. I happen to think he was severely underdeveloped and underutilized at Clemson, but we'll find out about that. Uh, They are overshadowed by Oregon, which is always going to make them a dark horse. Even if if they had multiple years stacked on top of each other, they would still be viewed as a dark horse out there. They had a top 35 defense last year. Uh, Also, the schedule, this is very important when trying to determine a dark horse. The schedule sees them avoid USC. And they get Washington, Utah, and UCLA at home. Knock on desk. Oregon State. They're already there. Like, they're already in contention. They're already right in the thick of it. Uh, Colin, I think you just showed it to me, but could you do me a favor and throw the odds back up for a second? Because I don't want to just overlook that. So right now, if you're listening on podcast, we have the 2023 college football playoff odds for all Pac-12 teams. Southern Cal predictably is number one. Oregon and Utah are number two. Washington is four. So Oregon, Utah are two and three. Washington's four. And then it's Oregon State, five. And I think in people's minds, they hear USC, Oregon. Half of them don't even think of Utah, even though they're back-to-back conference champs. But you just think it's, it's USC, Oregon, maybe Utah, and then a bunch of other. And it's not that. There is a, a pretty set hierarchy out there, at least when it comes to preseason odds. And, Washington and Oregon State are right up there in the thick of it. Let's go to the Big 12. Now, Big 12's already dark horse central. Like, everybody is in play. Jesse tried to sell me on Kansas and made a half-decent argument for Kansas today. But I went right back to Lubbock, Texas, where I've been so many times, figuratively, I've been so many times over the past two months. And I'm going to go back to the well again. Eight wins last year. That was the best record since 2013. And also, they returned 75% production from a top 30 offense last year. So th- they have a lot of things that are trending in the right direction. They love, love, love the head coach they got in Joey McGuire. Tyler Shuck's health at quarterback is a big question because, as was pointed out to me earlier today, when he was healthy last year, they went 5-0. and they, That includes a win against Texas, who ironically didn't have the greatest picture of health at quarterback when they went there. They avoid Oklahoma this year, and it's the Big 12. When all else fails, if you're asking for a sleeper or a dark horse in the Big 12, just tell people it's the Big 12. Everyone's a contender and a sleeper simultaneously. And also, their schedule this year, they open at Wyoming, and then they get Oregon in Week 2. And I'm telling you, I don't think it's going to be on many radars when people do those top 10 out-of-conference games, you know. That Oregon at Texas Tech game in Week 2 That's the same day Texas goes to Bama, so it will be overshadowed. I can almost assure you of that. And I'm not making any promises that we can get out there. I'm pretty sure we'll be in Tuscaloosa that day, too. That's why I wish I could make the schedule, because I would stagger it according to our yet-to-be-named tour destination uh, requirements and whatnot. But Tarleton, you know, that Texas Tech-Tarleton game in week three is not to be overlooked as well. But then they get into conference play, and you see, as I said, there is no Oklahoma on that schedule. And they go to Texas at the very end of the year. Lastly, we go up to the Big Ten, and this one is Wisconsin. I don't really care that they have a new head coach there. In fact, them having a new head coach there is all the more reason for me to say, yeah, Wisconsin with the right leadership, absolutely. Could be a dark horse contender up there in the Big Ten. You got Luke Fickle as head coach. He hired Phil Longo as his offensive coordinator. Major spark. The size of the spark will be the only thing in question because we know that a major spark is coming. And, by the way, just how about right quick giant pat on the back for us for talking about Wisconsin's twice this week. Some people say we shy away from those Tier 2 Big Ten brands. mm not us. Maybe some of those SEC Homer shows, not us. Um, they are 27th in returning production this year. Tanner Mordecai, quarterback, transferring up there from SMU, where he transferred from Oklahoma originally. That is 2023 college football. And Braylon Allen's still up there who can run the ball for about 400 yards a game. They avoid Michigan. They avoid Penn State. And they get Ohio State at home. That offers up the makings for a Big Ten dark horse. So I want, I want this on record now. I don't feel very shy about this. If I have to pick dark horses right now, give me Louisville in the ACC, Missouri. That one I'm, I have a little trepidation about. But give me Missouri, lowercase in the SEC, Oregon State out West, Texas Tech in uh, the Big 12, and Wisconsin. Wisconsin, go Badgers, in the Big 10. Also, um, man, McGrady sent a great stat pack in, great stat pack. I did not remember that Missouri had the number four defense in the country, or uh, number four defense in the SEC, and it was in the 30s nationally last year. That is a sneaky stat. I think Ryan McGrady should copyright that one, actually. Also, that Oregon State double-digit win season, even when you talk about winning double-digit games, two of their three losses were by three points. That's why I'm telling you they shouldn't be a sleeper, but they are. They already won double-digit games last year, and they were so close to so much more. Can you imagine Oregon State being thrust into the playoff conversation? And they're playing up in Research Stadium right now. I'm not sure about the construction status, but last year, I think it was such that they had to shut down one side. So they only had fans on one side of the stadium. So, hey, a lot of good things happening. Because the thing about construction projects is eventually, unless you work for the Department of Transportation, they get completed and they look great and everyone's excited. I am far less excited about the segment we're about to do. It's going to take a healthy sip from the chalice to get myself mentally ready. I still don't feel ready, but we're going to do this anyway. Quick backstory. <clears throat> Colin, this is probably a pretty good endpoint for the segment, by the way. Sunday, innocuously enough, you know how rarely I use that word, I stepped to the mic and I said, I feel like this is as good a time as any to offer you the programs I find to be the top 10 in the country right now. And I listed my criteria. That's the thing about this. It is a sliding scale based on your criteria. I happen to value a few things and I heavily weigh. The past three years. That's how I define a program, kind of a a three-year rolling snapshot. I had one big outlier that I exempted from my own criteria, which I reserved the right to do, and that was USC. But that was Sunday. Tuesday, I'm just under attack. Here we are, I'm under attack. That's not necessarily the reason we're doing the show on Tuesday. I'll give you the reason for that later, but I am under attack nonetheless. Now, some of it was predictable. There were there were two teams that people took great umbrage with and one of them was Notre Dame, and it was predictable. It was actually so predictable, I myself predicted it on the Sunday show. Roll it, Colin. Anyone who's going to tell me they're overrated here, anyone who's going to tell me Notre Dame is, is too highly rated as the number six program in the country, that's fine. Your prerogative, tell me who belongs ahead of them. Don't just tell me they don't measure up to Alabama. I know, that's why I don't have them listed ahead of them. Don't just tell me they got blasted by Clemson in a playoff game. I know. That's why I don't have them listed ahead of Clemson. Well, one of the reasons. Don't tell me they lost to Ohio State. I don't have them listed ahead of Ohio State. We always do the same thing. And now, a passage from the comment section. Notre Dame consistently gets blown out in big games where we are told by pundits and the media that Notre Dame will compete. Notre Dame joined the ACC because they would be middle of the pack anywhere else. Notre Dame, what in the world? No, they, we continue. Notre Dame is absolutely overrated. Josh wants to talk about projection with Southern Cal, but won't do the same with Tennessee, LSU, or Oregon. Did you notice the part where he called them overrated, but then didn't tell me who should be rated ahead of them? Did you notice the part where he called them overrated? Did you notice cyber proxy? It's time to cyber bully cyber proxy. Did you notice where cyber proxy told me that Notre Dame's overrated? And then his entire basis for the argument was they get beaten playoff games by who? Alabama, Clemson, only teams I have rated ahead of Notre Dame. But I told you on the show, okay, I don't, I don't get to warn you about everything, but this is, so, this is as easy to see coming as dawn tomorrow morning. When I call Notre Dame a fairly highly rated program. Someone's going to call them overrated and they won't pay attention to the context of where I rated them. They will just say, nah, cause they get blown out in playoff games. And then I'll say, yeah, I know all the teams that have beaten them. I have rated higher than them. That's how ratings work. And they'll say, yeah, no, no, they're overrated. What's point B? What's the follow up argument? I just told you they get blown out in playoff games. Are you take the bubble gum out of your ears? What are you doing right now? D- bro, you're just a Notre Dame homer. That's true. Because if there's one thing I know about Forts in Georgia, it is that it is an Irish stronghold. Has been and always will be. Notre Dame's not overrated at six. They would be overrated at three or two or one or four or five. They're not overrated at six. Just as in the past, when they've been rated or ranked in polls at various positions, it's not being overranked or overrated to be slotted at the four position and then go get beat by the one seed. That's not called overrated. Overrated would be if you were favored and then still got beat. That would be overrated. I don't. Colin and Jesse, this seems like the most common sense thing in the world. This seems like two plus two is four and someone's coming in and they're saying, I don't know. Have you you considered seven? I haven't because I know what two plus two is. I know how ratings work. I do them all the time. And by the way, for those of you who love to selectively point out my Southern heritage and my Southern roots, would I not be the first person to call them overrated if they were indeed overrated? Even I'm telling you they're not overrated. Moving on, it, it, it was predictable with LA, with uh, with Notre Dame, but then, then my close personal friends, dare I say my second family, down on my Bayou home away from home, my LSU brethren came at me, and I'm like. H- and I'm like, hold on, let me put a shirt on. What do you guys want? And they they wanted to have a word with the fact that I didn't put LSU in the top 10. I guess it's it's no small amount of solace that I should tell you I had them at number 11. Well, maybe we should have done a top 11. Had Oregon at 12, for the record. Uh, but no, I didn't have LSU in the top 10. So I, I got a ton of folks. Like 75% of the pushback I got from LSU fans was, do you know that No one outside of Alabama has more national titles than us in the 2000s. And I'm like, yeah, I watched the games like you guys did. Did you listen to me talk about the last three years being all I truly care about when I'm weighing this? Or certainly, if it's not all I care about, it is what I, by far, most heavily weigh. LSU has got two 500 or worse seasons in the past three years. And then last year happened. Hey, Last year happened, and that way is why you're up at number 11. I, I know the sturdiness of that program. I know what they're capable of. This is not a capability thing. It's not, it's not future forward thinking. It's not prediction. It's just where are you right now based on my criteria. So then, and here was the only argument that LSU folks really had, that is how in the world are you going to put USC in there and not put us in there? That does make it sound a little hypocritical. I explained it on the show the other night. I just exempted USC because I feel that strongly, and I'll explain it to you later in the show if you stay tuned in. I feel that strongly about where they are. But, but what I did not have time to hear, and I couldn't reply to all you guys, I did not have time to talk about 2003. I didn't have time to talk about 2007. I didn't have time for it because that has nothing upon nothing upon nothing to do with what the program is today. Uh, frankly, 2019 has nothing to do with what the program is today. You, you look at LSU right now, okay? I, I challenge you to do this. I'm not telling you to forget 2019. Celebrate it until the end of time. I, 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 in case you've forgotten, I took that ride right along with you guys. I'm saying when you look at 2019, think about what has happened since then. And think about how much of what LSU was in 2019 has been just severed and cut loose from the program. What do you still have in common with the 2019 team? That's what I'm talking about. Okay, if this was Dabo at Clemson or or Kirby at George or Saban at Bama, there would be reason to talk about something that happened in 2019 because there would be carryover effect. There, There would be a lot of overlap. There is no overlap with what LSU is now and what they were in 2019. So what I also don't have time to hear is, oh, he's doubting LSU. There he goes, doubting LSU. Who in the world do you think sat here when everyone else was clowning you guys, hiring Brian Kelly? And I was wagging my finger at him and saying, you'll see. I had no doubts about that guy. And for the record, if we want to get into the prediction game, I would bet you every dollar in my pocket. And I'm wearing sweatpants, but follow me. Every dollar in my pocket, LSU will not only be in this segment this time next year. They'll be prominently featured there. I've got no doubts. I've got zero doubt. I was the one touting Brian Kelly. I was the one going on Baton Rouge and New Orleans radio and selling some of you guys who had doubts about him on Brian Kelly. So I've had zero doubt about the guy, have zero doubt about the guy, have zero doubt about the future of the program. It's not a prediction segment. It's a here and now segment. I flat out don't have LSU as one of my top 10 programs in the country right now, and that's about to change very soon. The end. I just wanted to have that addressed. The rest is football wherever you get your podcasts. All the best from Big Beats. Academy Sports and Outdoors, I don't know if they have a mop necessarily to clean up after the segment we just had, but Academy Sports and Outdoors has been with us for a long time, obviously. They will be with us for a long time. I actually need to pick up some new rain gear because, um, as you can tell, we're on the air Tuesday because I'm pretty sure I'll either be in, like, Illinois or Iowa, or Missouri sometime Friday, I, I hate to be the bearer of bad news. It looks like we have another big tornado outbreak coming. At least it's in a different portion of the country, uh, but yours truly, as I do every spring, will be on the road later this week, and I will gear up at Academy Sports and Outdoors. Probably can't use the academy.com option because even they can't ship fast enough to get it here by the time I fly out of here Thursday, uh, but not all of you are psychopathic enough to go out and seek tornadoes. Some of you just want to play a softball game. Some of you just want to play some pickup basketball in the driveway. That's fine. Academy's there for both of us. They will fulfill your needs, and we all have them. I can assure you, no matter what kind of lifestyle you live, at some point this spring, you will need something, probably multiple things, that they offer. And if you can't find it there, quite frankly, I question your lifestyle at this point. I know that's a dirty thing to do, but, but if you're living a lifestyle that has nothing to do with anything they carry, knowing the selection they have, what are you really doing with your life? And as I said, if you can't get there in person, academy.com has you covered. Okay, uh, they're watching us in Denver, Colorado tonight. Sacramento, California is tuned in. And Dahlonega, Georgia. You can go panning for gold in Dahlonega. Did you know that? Played a baseball tournament up there one time too. Okay, I need to talk to you about, uh, well, I need to answer a question and then talk to you in the process. So, you know how sometimes, Colin, you don't have to in, in include this in the segment, but you know how sometimes we talk about the greatest atmospheres in college football. We talk about the biggest stadiums, the best stadiums, and LSU gets prominently mentioned, oh, uh, like Ohio State will get mentioned, Bama, all the big SEC places, uh, Penn State, a lot of the big, big 10 places, Autzen at Oregon. And some people include Clemson and some people don't. And that leads into Matthew's question. So Matthew from Conway, South Carolina, he hit us up. He said, have you ever been to Death Valley for a game? And if you haven't, would you come to the FSU or Notre Dame game this year? If you haven't experienced it at night, you're really missing out. He's right so are Clemson fans. Even Clemson fans have been missing out. So I have been. I went to one Clemson game. It was 2019. Texas A&M was in town. It was a day game. It was roughly 157 degrees on the field that day. Those of you who were there know all too well what I'm talking about. They outlasted Texas A&M. They win the game. But then I didn't go back. I've had no reason to go back. The closest reason I would have had was last year. But before I get to that, you want to talk about uncovering some, some deep, dark college football trivia today. We went back and looked because I just don't remember many big Clemson home games in the playoff era. And I was right. They are 59-2 and at home in the playoff era. You remember most of the wins Anyone out there want to take a guess at the two losses? Anyone? I'm going to give you like five seconds. Three, two, one. One of them was pretty recently. It was last year against South Carolina. And the other one was against whom? Pitt in 2016. That's not as dark as the trivia gets. Oh, no. Post-it pop here. Bam. Who are the two quarterbacks? who dealt Clemson their only two home losses in the college football playoff era. One of them, Spencer Rattler, the other one. Drum roll, please. Nathan Peterman. Those sound like names of asteroids more than quarterbacks that should have beaten Clemson. But yet they did it. And that goes to show you, aside from the Lamar Jackson game when Louisville went in there and it was just a classic in, I believe, 2016, NC State last year was a big buildup. Uh, They played like Auburn in 2017. FSU was was fairly big in 2015. They just don't play many big games at home. And it's not their fault. It's the rest of the ACC's fault. No one has stepped up consistently over there. And that leads me to the following point. Why? That's it. What, What gives the rest of the ACC the right to collectively suck that bad over this long a period of time? Surely you would think to yourself, Your nine-year-old niece would walk up and think to herself, surely someone is going to stumble into a winner every now and then. They don't. They really don't, little Susie. They sure don't. Not even Virginia Tech? No. Well, what? Miami and Florida State? No. Maybe. Maybe. We'll see. Stay tuned this year. It's disappointing. I went down to Florida State in like 2016. I saw them play Clemson there, and that was a great environment. Clemson pulled it out. Uh, that was either 15 or 16. Either way, they were going to go play for a title that year. They won the title the year they lost to Pitt, by the way. I just remember that. So, anyway, we're, we're, we're reliving history there. Clemson could be one of the most famous environments in college football. Now, the locals will swear by it. I am trying to inform the locals in as kind of fashion as I can. The rest of America does not view the Clemson home experience like you guys do but I'm not saying that derogatorily. I'm 80% sure it's a word. I'm not saying that to slight you. I'm saying you guys are so good, you have removed the threat of losing at home from the radar to the point where we just we don't really turn on many Clemson games to say, boy, this place is about to be rocking tonight. But it could be that. In fact, many times it is that. It's just most people are oblivious to it. So Florida State comes in their week four this year. I have not scouted our tour destinations yet. We haven't named the tour yet this year, but I would be fairly confident that's going to be the game of the year in the ACC. And I would have some pretty supreme confidence that that's going to be well on our radar for being our destination in week four. Now, if Florida State were to beat LSU in week one, Florida State's undefeated when they go in there, or even if they're not undefeated, if they just look like they're legit, they are validating people's expectations. They're a very high caliber team. And Clemson has has righted the ship offensively. Imagine what that game could be. Like I said, last year, you know, people were touting NC State, but the nation doesn't take NC State seriously. You you will you will have the same doubters about an NC State being a legit contender as people doubted TCU last year. Right up until they went to the title game, people doubted them. Why? They're not a blue blood. It's that's, that's, that's that simple. And so the difference is when Florida State starts to make a little noise, the country's already conditioned to take Florida State seriously. They're looking for a reason to do it. And if Florida State goes in there and all of a sudden undefeated versus undefeated, and you may very well have uh, ACC you know, poll position on the line there, that could be the best Clemson home atmosphere we've seen in a long time and it will remind you what's possible up there. That that place should be right there in the conversation every time you mention LSU or Penn State or the like. It should be there. It hasn't been there. And it's not Clemson's fault. It's because the rest of that conference has not held up their end of the bargain. And one more thing, I was on 1010 down in Jacksonville today and I was talking to Ryan Green and I I mentioned the stat that we're showing on the screen right now for the first time in a long long time. Those odds, those preseason odds in the ACC are not Clemson and then no one else within earshot. It's Clemson and Florida State. We know the game happens in Death Valley this year, but it's Clemson and Florida State even. And I imagine that point spread is going to be under a touchdown when they play that one up there. So it's going to be a very, very, very fun countdown. You know, season starts four weeks or three weeks earlier than that. But that's going to be the countdown. That's the one everyone's going to be looking forward to. All right, let's move it on. Appreciate you guys being tuned in tonight, by the way. If you haven't already, like the video, which a quarter of you have done, but that means three-fourths of you. Stats and info, back me up. Yeah, three-fourths of you have not liked the video yet. Um, It's concerning, but, you know, it's it's not a red flag yet. We've still got a lot of show to go. Speaking of the show, we're just going all over the place tonight. I would like to talk to you about a team that I would like to mood track. The mood tracker segment is a franchise. It's a staple of late kick. It's where we stick the thermometer in the fan base figuratively and we figure out how they're feeling. I think it is, um, it gives you a really good gauge on how the country collectively is feeling about their teams. So tonight we were sitting around as a staff wondering who should we do the mood tracker on? Who should we do the mood tracker on? And I walk in and say, oh, it's already been decided guys. Because the peristyle, the USC 24/7 message board, they decided it for us. I'm just perusing the other day. I was I was in the office at like 12:30 in the morning, doing what you might ask. You have a flat tire? No, I was watching Lincoln Riley's spring press conferences. Hoops amongst us, right? So I go over to the USC message board because Trevino and the guys they were doing their their post practice wrap up. It was pouring down rain in LA, and then I stumbled upon a message board thread. And it said, you know, on Late Kick, they've been doing mood trackers. So if and when they do USC, let's just go ahead and give them some ideas. And sure enough, there's a whole thread. There's a two-page thread over there where they're just offering up their moods voluntarily. That is the kind of initiative that we like to label Pate State Material. So they're excited about Lincoln Riley. But you know the difference in the excitement in in Southern Cal and the excitement that just any old program would have? Is Southern Cal's been to the mountaintop before? and it wasn't a million years ago. And so uh, enough of those folks know what the capability of that program is that they're happy to get excited about a guy. But once the confetti is on the ground, and you know, once the the ticker tape parade is over and he's settled into his new mansion, it's time to get to work. And we love having you, but you're going to be held to the same standard as everyone else, including the guys we fired before you because they couldn't get it done. But with that in mind... I made the mood of the USC fan base caroling because of what I just talked about. There is excitement that for the first time they've got a guy the caliber of what they had in the early to mid 2000s. That guy's name was Pete Carroll. Maybe you've heard of him. Children, if you haven't, go look it up. Because there's a very inconvenient truth that people in the South and people in the Midwest do not like to acknowledge. And that is Southern Cal, when they're operating at peak efficiency, is not just a pretty good program. It's a nightmare for the rest of the country. When USC is clicking on all cylinders, it is a nightmare for the rest of America. Some of us remember it once upon a time. Some of us remember, now I was back in school, but some of us remember when you looked out west and you just, you, you didn't, it's not like you prayed for injury or something, but you, you had to hope like some random upset was gonna happen that knocked them out because you knew you know, if you had to run up against them in postseason play, unless you got Vince Young, you, you weren't going to fare much better than like Oklahoma did that year. What did they hang, 55 on Oklahoma in a title game? So they remember all that. Uh, I call that caroling. That, that was the Pete Carroll era. And then there was a bunch of guys who, suffice it to say, were not Pete Carroll. And now they got Lincoln Riley. More on Lincoln Riley in a second. If you haven't met him, I'll introduce you to him. But I have a couple of criticisms that even some of the Southern Cal fans will acknowledge. But I think a lot of the criticisms outside of USC fandom are more wishing than actual acknowledging real problems. Let me tell you what they sound like. Right now, there's a healthy portion of uh, the college football public, the more casual public, that would tell you USC is not recruiting well enough. Well, they're not recruiting number one classes, but. What if I told you, if you looked at their combined recruiting ranking for this year, which is portal and recruiting class combined, their class would rank number two in the Big Ten, which is where they're about to head, trailing only Ohio State. Is this not the standard? Is this not the talent acquisition standard I'm supposed to be holding them to? That's the way you should be thinking about that, by the way. Also, now this is the money criticism. Defense, not good enough. No, it's not. No, it has not been. And it wasn't when he was at Oklahoma, he being Lincoln Riley. It wasn't. You got some woeful numbers on the screen right now. And if you're listening on podcast, it's not worth a Google. It's not worth a duck, duck, go. Don't bing it. Don't anything. Just trust me. It's bad. As much as we're caroling around here, this is very Grinch-like. And if there's one Grinch that can ruin caroling, it's the one leading this defense right now. Now, I was listening to Lincoln Riley talk the other day. As I told you, I was parked in the office, high atop Nashville, Tennessee, all by myself. And he said all the right things about progress, year one to year two. And he said all the right things, and I do believe him about adding quality second line depth. Last year, yeah, they had some good frontline players. It was like falling off a cliff if they ever had to dig into their depth a little bit. But someone on the peristyle actually made a good point. He said, I'm excited about this year. Because either we're going to the playoff or we're totally overhauling the defense. And I think he's right. They're not going to miss the playoff because of offense. They're going to miss the playoff because they can't stop molasses in December, even in Southern California. And if that's the case, then he's got options. That's a destination for 99% of defensive coordinators or potential defensive coordinators in America. So Lincoln Riley would have his pick. He's not going to keep his wagon hitched to a guy who can't get it done. He believes in Alex Grinch. That's why he still got him there. And look, he's the head coach, so he makes the decisions. But I think that poster was right. Either they go to the playoff because defense has improved enough, or they're overhauling things, and then year three will be the biggest excitement year. They've got the fourth best playoff odds in America right now this upcoming year. They have got a schedule that's very workable. Uh, They have got a returning Heisman Trophy winner at quarterback. They are recruiting guys that inevitably will, in the future, be in the Heisman conversation. They're in it for Dylan Rayla. They're in it for Deuce Robinson. Deuce Robinson is a guy. Jesse, you were at Elite 11. So we go out to Elite 11 last year, and we are watching the quarterbacks because it's a quarterback event. And then all of a sudden, there's this receiver who's just there, and uh, it turns out it's him. And he's over there. He's just working out because you got to have receivers out there for the quarterbacks to throw to. So they could end up being ranked even higher than they are right now in recruiting. They are 14th in returning production this year. And that's number one in the Pac-12. And this is a team that was on the precipice of winning the Pac-12 last year. I can't tell you what would have happened if Caleb Williams was healthy in the Pac-12 title game. And I know they don't like me saying that in Salt Lake City, but I don't know what would have happened. I have a I have a feeling they would have won the game. That's my feeling, which is worth what it's worth. Anyway, irrelevant. If he's healthy this year, they're the favorites and should be the favorites. And they've got, like I said, much better depth this year. So overall, I mean, let's, let's please not kid ourselves about this. You can You can tend to do the same thing with Lincoln Riley that people do with Notre Dame. I already spoke my piece on Notre Dame earlier. They do the same thing with Lincoln Riley they do with Notre Dame. Notre Dame goes up against the very best in the country. They don't beat Bama. They don't beat Clemson. And someone's got them ranked fifth and said, oh, they're overrated. No, they're not. They they lost to teams ranked higher than them. Lincoln Riley does not have Nick Saban's resume. He doesn't have Kirby's resume. Okay? I'm quickly running out of the list of folks who have a better resume than him. The guy has quite literally won double-digit games every year of his head coaching existence. He's a monster who is just getting started. He could be a head coach for another quarter century for all we know. So some folks would lead you to believe, hey, you just are who you are. I'm a believer that the folks at the top of any food chain are there because of adaptability and because of the ability to evolve and the ability to learn and, if need be, reinvent themselves. I don't believe the things that have limited Your words, not mine, Lincoln Riley so far in his career are always going to be to his detriment. I believe there is coming a time where a Lincoln Riley team will play plenty good enough defensive football for him to otherwise take advantage of the way he acquires offensive talent, calls plays, and develops a program, and they'll win a championship. I firmly believe that. I'm not saying it's 2023. I'm just saying he's got a he's got a while. He's not seventy-eight years old. He's got a while. So there's every reason in the world to be ecstatic or caroling, if you will. If you're a USC fan, all these true freshmen out there, Michaela Williams is not one, obviously, but all these true freshmen out there, we've talked about them the past two shows. And I said, Jesse, are we done? Or do we have some more to talk about? And producer Jesse said, I think we got some more. Now, in fairness, producer Jesse just wanted to do a full diagnosis of Penn State signing class. We can't do that for obvious reasons. But what we can do is, Colin, here's your end point true freshmen that could impact things this year. We're not looking for red shirts. We're not looking for guys who will pop on the radar in 2025. I'm talking about guys like Nicholas Harbor. Do we have the track footage, by the way? Always some of my favorite film to watch from this past recruiting cycle was Nicholas Harbor running track. I want you to look at this and keep in mind, this alien here is 6'5", 225. I don't think I need to point out to you which one he is in the tape. But if you're listening on podcast, just picture someone twice the size of everyone else moving about twice as fast as everyone else. And then picture Shane Beamer and his coaching staff watching that and saying, yep, we want to have one of those. And they got him. They got him. It was a knife fight on the recruiting trail with Oregon, but they got him. Do you see, by the way, you're, you're listening on podcast. You're doing yourself a disservice. Ugh, that is gross footage. Look at him. How long is it going to take for whoever number two is? Okay, number two was barely in the frame. He finally showed up. There's zero chance that dude stays off the field this year. Uh, The one question about him has been, is he going to play football? Is he going to be a track and field guy? If he is playing football, they're not going to have a season at South Carolina if he's healthy where he's kept off the field. You don't recruit those kind of dudes at South Carolina and keep them off the field. At the very least, he will be a demon on special teams. And then red zone as well. I mean, I've got a guy who can, who can run a 10-2200 meter, is 6'5", 225, and really, it just has attributes that shouldn't be possessed by a human. Yeah, I think he'll be an impact player if he's actually able to play his freshman year. One of the highest-ranked recruits in South Carolina history, like the number seven player they've ever signed, easily the highest-ranked kid Beamer's brought in so far. There's another one in the SEC over in the West. And that's Suntourine Perkins. He's a linebacker. uh, 6'3", 205 pounds. He's the number three backer in the class overall. Number 23 overall player. Saban wanted him really bad. Pete Golding, when he was at Alabama, wanted him really bad. And Pete Golding just decided, you know what? If I I can't get him to come to Alabama, why don't I go to Ole Miss? And he did. So Pete Carroll, or not Pete Carroll. uh, Pete Golding is now the defensive coordinator at Ole Miss, and he gets to Coach Perkins, after all, massive get, huge get for Lane Kiffin. I think people overlook the defensive acquisitions there for obvious reasons because they gave up 31.3 points per game defensively last year. But Andrew Ivins, who, as we all know, is one of the foremost voices in this recruiting space, and he doesn't even pay me to say that anymore. Used to, but he doesn't pay me to say it anymore because I really, truly believe it. Uh, one of his quotes from the last signing day was a uh, hidden gem of the 2023 cycle. You're looking at him. Santarine Perkins. I'm going to give you his stats. In the state title game there in Mississippi, 32 carries. Now, mind you, we're talking about a linebacker, but some of these guys obviously are, are elite enough athletes. They just play both ways. 32 carries, 337 yards rushing, four touchdowns, four two-point conversion attempts converted. And, uh, oh, by the way, six tackles, had an interception in the game extremely athletic, off the charts, athleticism and ability to move. He can cover for a guy with his frame is really an insane athlete and one of the best in this past class. Uh, out at Texas, what are, we, what are we talking about right now? We're talking about Bijan Robinson going to the draft, right, at running back. And we're talking about Roshan Johnson. He's out of there as well. And we're talking about all these wide receivers at Texas. What are we going to do at running back? Well, Cedric Baxter is what we're going to do at running back. Cedric Baxter was the number one running back in this class, number 30 overall, five stars, obviously, 6'1", 215. They, as I said, lost some guys. And then also at Texas this spring, the guys they do have on the roster have been out at various points. I think Keelan Robinson's practicing again, but they've been out at various points, which has given Cedric Baxter time to get some very, very valuable reps in the spring. He's good enough on his own. Okay, I'm a believer that, a guy like him, especially at the position he plays, will be able to, to transition into college life fairly effectively as a freshman. But also, when you're giving him extra reps in spring, or you if at least got that on the radar, it becomes all the more likely that he's about to be a player this year. He finished his high school career with 44 total touchdowns. 42 of them were of the rushing variety. And lastly, now we're getting to a money position here at a money program. And it's so ironic that I mentioned that word given what the conversation was around this school landing, this player. Pay attention to my friends in Iowa City. I kid because I care, guys. Caden Proctor is at Alabama from Iowa. I may be there Friday. Um, I think he may start at tackle for him. Right now, Bama's in the middle of spring practice, and right now, Pretty sure J.C. Latham is going to have one of those tackle spots. But right now, it's between, essentially, Elijah Pritchett, Harvard High School, Columbus, Georgia, or Caden Proctor, as I see it. Uh, sure, if we had Nick Saban on the show right now, he wouldn't even let me get that out of my mouth without biting my head off. But that's pretty much how it's going to boil down there when all said and done. It's not crazy to talk about a true freshman starting at tackle there, talk about really young guys playing. It's not crazy. I mean, I can't remember... I can't remember exactly which ones played as freshmen, but when you think about like Alex Leatherwood, uh, Quanjo back in the day, Cyrus Quanjo, Cam Robinson when he came in there, these guys, they played early. Fluker, Jonah Williams, they, they just rattled off five-star tackles who have come in there and played pretty early. Jedrick Wills, I think, may have played as a freshman or sophomore. I think Caden Proctor possesses that ability. This dude was the number one tackle in the country, number five overall player, six seven three. 30. So they don't really need to necessarily physically develop him. He doesn't have to put any size on. He, he's ready from that standpoint. And I oh boy, I look forward to that cuz so see, this is one where we talked about it a lot. We talked about the recruitment of Caden Proctor. And if you have forgotten, let me refresh your memory. That's the one where he was from Iowa and he was committed to Iowa. And then Nick Saban decided he wanted him, and they landed him. And then the allegations were that, well, Bama just went and bought him. And it was so loud that the kid himself came out and said, actually, I took less guaranteed money to go to Alabama, if that matters to anyone, you know. And then some folks had the audacity to say, essentially, no, 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 you don't know what you're talking about, I'm right. Like, the kid himself is not the foremost authority on this, uh, in, Hawkeye guy, 83 on the YouTube comment section. That's who I need to be listening to. So I'm not, I know I kind of need to walk a fine line there because I'd be pissed if I were an Iowa fan too. So I'm not blaming you guys. And, and it doubly stings because it's an in-state guy. And you've got an established track record. In fact, per capita, you could argue you've got a better track record of developing the offensive line position than Alabama. They've got more studs, but they've recruited more studs. I, I get the argument on your side. My point was then and still is, he didn't go there for money. He went there because it's Alabama. Uh, that's it's nothing to be sad about. Well, it's nothing to, to feel like you've been wronged over. I guess you could be sad about it. But yeah, I think he's going to be an impact freshman. Uh, Baxter, Sunterine Perkins, Nicholas Harbor, I think all of those are impact freshmen this year. Look, I, as I told you, am probably going to be on the road Friday. Now, the socials are very active right now. I always encourage you to follow me. Twitter and Instagram are my main two areas. We could shut down TikTok any second anyway. So, at Lake Kick Josh, make sure you're following there. Now, here's what I don't know. But a lot of you have asked me. So, there is a chance, especially if the situation warrants, where I could just randomly go live, like on Instagram especially. I could just go live. could just have you a live tornado Friday. Don't know how it ever plays out, but I'm saying... Uh, Enough of you have asked for that to where if you're into that sort of thing, you like nature, atmospheric science like I do. uh, Yeah, maybe we'll do that. Who knows? But at the very least, could be some really pretty pictures to look at Friday. The Instagram story is just it's a plethora. It's a very, very wide variety of what happens in my life outside of this office. Plenty of college football content, plenty of what happens here. You know, like earlier today. I, I I just barely got the sweat dried off of me because I had to take management out behind the woodshed another couple of times on the pong table uh, less than an hour before the show started. And I'm about to go do the same with Jesse in just a second. Out of love, because he's got a big Final Four battle in the office tournament coming up that I got to get him ready for him. <laughs> Talk about the formatting of that tournament, by the way. Still not over. Uh, Tim Watts texted me the other day and made one of about two or three good points a year he makes. And that is your office ping pong tournament is going to take longer than the actual NCAA tournament has taken. I'd love to say he's wrong, but he's not wrong. That's not on me. I'm just a participant. So we will have a late kick extra podcast Thursday. It won't be on the YouTube channel, obviously but it'll drop in your podcast feed. So if you haven't already, I tweeted it out earlier. You can go and submit your questions by responding to it. And we will, uh, we'll get you a good solid Girthy on Thursday if you will until then for Direct Call for Producer Jesse I'm Josh Bate take care have a great rest of your evening and God bless